listener production. KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast. The Yulikit Woolen Clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to our elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your DM on the stuff that matters, but also the stuff that doesn't. One, two, three, Hello. This is funny because we're sitting next to each other instead of across from each other. We've just spoken to our incredible guest, Tila Reed, and we are so excited to share this very, very important conversation with you. It is NAIDOC Week this week, which stands for National Aboriginals and Islanders Day Observance Committee, and it celebrates the history, culture, and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Tila is a proud Wiradjuri and Wawan woman. She's a lawyer and co-founder of Blackfella underscore book club, which is a platform that honours First Nations ancestors as the original storytellers. She's also just launched a new podcast called Black Matters with her co-host MC, who is actually someone that she grew up with. Um, And you can find that podcast on the listener app or wherever you get your podcast. And it's an exploration of First Nations issues and why they matter. And we speak to this in the podcast. And it is such a great place to start if you're someone who does, which we we really hope, it's so important, um, who wants to educate themselves on more First Nations issues. For example, there is an episode on acknowledgement of country, which we highly recommend listening to. We also hope that you learn a lot through this episode. We are so grateful for Teela's generosity in everything that she shared. Enjoy. Teela, welcome to the KickPod. Oh, Yama, thanks for having me. Firstly, we wanted to say the biggest congratulations on your new podcast, Black Matters. It's such a great place for people to begin if they're wanting to educate themselves more on First Nations issues. So thank you. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to come on the podcast. We We'd love to hear all about your story, but before we get into your story, can we hear a little bit about your new podcast? Yeah, so um, the podcast is called Black Matters, that's B-L-A-K. It's really just born out of a friendship. Um, Myself and MC, who is a radio host here um, as well on Gadigal land, uh, were born and raised in the same little community and we care deeply about our community and, um, you know, I'm a black fella, he's a white fella and we've been friends for a very long time. So we grew up in northwestern New South Wales and, I mean, the more as we grow as millennials, I think that we are beginning to understand that there is a deep injustice in this world when it comes to First Nations issues And so for us, it was really just taking our friendship conversations and giving listeners a little bit of an ear into those yarns. And for myself personally, you know, I'm a Rajri Wailwan woman, a lawyer, and uh, this is, you know, just the day-to-day conversations I think that people would need to be able to be brave enough to centre First Nations issues in their everyday lives because when it comes to the deep systemic injustices in our country, these are not just First Nations problems, they're Australian problems. And we want to be able to invite people into a very safe but sometimes uncomfortable space Mm. where they have to self-reflect on the nation we live in 
and that the onus is absolutely always on, you know, not just First Nations, but non-Indigenous Australians. So it's just about centering First Nations issues and why they matter. I think that's so incredible and, and, and good on you for, for doing that. And I think also when you have a, a co-host that's a friend as well, there would be so much openness and vulnerability. So I'm looking forward to listening in. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too. You spoke a little bit about, you know, where you grew up. Would love to learn a little bit more. I'm sure you do touch on this throughout your podcast so you don't have to spoil it all. But a little bit about growing up as an Indigenous woman in Australia would be incredible. We do explore this a bit, you know, both from my perspective and MC's perspective. And although we were very close friends, um, there are still really different lived experiences. And for me, I am the eldest granddaughter on my maternal kinship side, um, those generations before me. So my mum, her siblings, my grandparents, my great-grandparents and all the generations before me particularly in modern Australia, were all forced onto missionaries. So I am, you know, the first to be liberated um, from that lived experience. And so it was not lost on me growing up how different my story was, particularly from the stories that I got told at home to then going to school and being really kind of confused about, you know, when I walked into the school gates, I felt very foreign on my own country because Mm. the education system was not sharing the values that I got taught at home, you know, by elders around the campfire, the stories of liberating themselves, the stories of our land. And then I'd get to school and, you know, we'd have to stand in line and march to, you know, the school quad and say the school creed and sing the anthem and look up to a flag that just did not represent me at all. And I started to question the system, particularly around, you know, when they would share stereotypical stories of Aboriginal people as though we were in the past and not living in the present. And, you know, Anzac Day would come around every year and there would not be a single representation of First Nations peoples that went to war for this country. And I was getting a different story from home. And so I started to really kind of um, feel deeply uncomfortable about that because there was a fire burning in my belly about those stories of my grandparents having to liberate themselves, of my great-grandparents were forced to wear dog tags around their neck because that's how the system here um, separated them and divided them and controlled Aboriginal people. So I started to learn all of these different kinds of worlds I had to walk in and then not lose sight of all the opportunities that I was given. So yeah, being born and raised in that town, it was actually like, I should say, I was very loved. It was such a beautiful experience growing up in the country, but there was a very sinister feeling about the systems that we were forced to to learn and live in and What I've found over time, actually, is because we did have such poor civics education in our Western education Mm, systems, mm -hmm. most Australians don't even know how their system works. And so much part of the public lawyering kind of work I do now is about, you know, just explaining to Australians, did you know that Australia was founded on racism? Like, Mm. it's a systemic issue. Mm. So, yeah. It's, it's a long story short, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no that's, that's so great. It's interesting. Um, I think it's so true what you said about when we learn about Indigenous culture in history class in high school, 
It's it's as if it's history class. It's yeah. not about the yeah. future, and and it's it's such a good point. So that there's so much in there, and I think the other thing I wanted to ask you as well is in your school. Did you have a lot of friends that were Indigenous or were you kind of the only Indigenous person in a sea of white people? So at our school, um, our community was, yeah, no, there were heaps of black fellas mm. at my school. And I guess we all were kind of that kind of first generation off and put mm. into the kind of formal system within which we were both, you know, mixing with white fellas. Mm. Yeah, no, so it was like a, it was a great town. I, you know, we have such a, we had such a sheltered childhood because it also you have to think about, it was like way before social media, way before the internet mm. and millennials will understand as well what our lives were like generally before all of that. Yeah. And so in a town of like two and a half thousand people, there's not much you can kind of explore outside of it. We had a great childhood. It doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult trying to navigate those spaces. And I think the more now that we have left our community and um, been able to have like these objective views of the world and that there is such a bigger world out there gives us the, at Black Matters podcast, a better understanding to be able to look back and go, okay, this was our lived experience. How do we make this better for the next generation? And that's still, you know, the conversations with such a deep love for where we come from and that will never change. Absolutely. And the other thing I really wanted to ask you about was in terms of how other countries, like Australia is so far behind Mm. in terms of our integration of where we started and like our culture together. It's almost like as of, and I'd love to hear how you feel that Australia kind of represents um, Indigenous Australians within our culture And I think too, I think something that I, and I'm so sorry that you have to deal with this so often. And I think as for Steph and I always trying to be allies, I would love to know how, how to approach this because Mm. what I find often because of the way that we have not integrated the culture properly into Australian culture is that I know often like I'll be it. And it's always with like a group of maybe older, it's the comments come from like more uneducated, kind of like an older group, usually of, of white men. And it might be like, you know, if there's an acknowledgement of country before the football or wherever it might be, and they make comments like, oh, we have to, you know, do this all the time mm-hmm. now. Like, you know, why do we have to do this? Like all of these things that are obviously so extremely, uh, it's, it's, it's so disrespectful. And it's like for them, it's it's just with them saying that, it's like that they need to take the time to listen to it. Mm. But I can just imagine, like in those situations, I always, like I try to come and say, no, like obviously it's really, really important that we do this. And it's like honestly 30 seconds of your time exactly. that you what could just be respectful. To, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I think there is this in, there's it, obviously people that are educated, but then what's really difficult, and we speak about this often on the podcast, is for kind of maybe 60% of the population that just aren't taking the time to educate themselves and are kind of, they're the, but they're the ones that we also have to change their mindset to be able to kind of move forward. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about how Australia, how we have kind of integrated Indigenous culture and how we could do better and then how to handle those conversations? Yeah, it's so interesting trying to navigate these kinds of issues mm. um, because I think many black polars would be like, this isn't a matter of integrating us um, mm. into your life. This is a matter of showing a deep respect mm. for the land within which you live and work. Mm. And part of that, 
for us as First Nations peoples is understanding that we have a relationship and a responsibility to the land. And if, you know, non-Indigenous Australians are not at the point yet within which they're able to grasp the importance of that relationship, then the non-Indigenous community has a lot of work to do among themselves to be able to, I think, educate each other and build strategies within your own communities to be able to, I think, shift the world view. Because sometimes people are like, oh, you know, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to, you know, like, why not? Like, it's such a beautiful thing to be part of this country and this nation's story. And if, you know, exactly like you said, can't take that 30 seconds or 90 seconds out of Mm. your day, that reflects more on you than it does First Nations peoples. And it's extraordinary because when you think about the football, for example, no one would say that to the Haka. So true. So true. And I think it does come back to really deep reflection on the significance of the country that we're living and working on. And that is just such a gift for us. And our nation's story is so different to other continents. And we're still only, you know, trying to understand who we are here, living, working, walking together. And I think it will take time. It's slowly happening. Um, But yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about it when you do have those moments? Do you think that you're able to kind of make headways into kind of your community around if there are those kinds of comments? What do you think, I guess, stops people from actually being able to show that deep respect back? I think, I mean, it's obviously, it feels uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable because they're saying it. And Mm. it's just like, how can you, you, when people say things like that, for me, it's like, well, our values are so not aligned. Mm. But then beyond that, and this is me coming from someone who is an ally and hasn't had to, I suppose, live Mm. through this for so many years, like you haven't, I can't even imagine because it's when you do go to explain it, often there's a barrier there that they don't even listen anyway and they don't care what you're saying because they're so narrow-minded. And I think that's really, really difficult. And it is, It's and I apologise for the way that I asked the question before because I, I, you're exactly right. And I'm, I'm sorry that I said it that way that, you know, we've integrated um, Indigenous culture and really that's like what our country is rooted in. Like that's where... Yeah. That, that's where we started, right? And and it should have been, it's obviously should be the, the other way around. And I think that's the biggest problem because mm. we haven't had that education, but that's it is... That's been drilled. Exactly right. Mm. Yeah. Exactly right. It's that like we've got to change as black followers and not you as white followers. I think that's the deep kind of... And you've even pulled yourself up on that, you know? And those that's the kind of just behaviours this country has mm. deeply entrenched in all yeah. of us. And if we don't have that deep reflection, then we can't move forward to the next step. And you also picked up a really important point, um, which I want to emphasize for people, like the discomfort we feel in these conversations is absolutely, it should happen. We Mm. should feel like really challenged having these Mm. chats because when we're trying to confront the truth of our nation and when we witness prejudices, you can sense that this is not a good feeling. It brings me back to this point of the movement we're in now as a nation. You know, people are like, we need truth-telling, we need truth-telling, um, or we need treaty, or we need voice. And then people get into these like conversations about what should come first and what should come last. And it's like, well, I actually think Australians know the truth. I think there is a deep feeling within their gut 
that there is something not okay here on this country, whether they want to actually admit it Mm -hmm. or not. It's about how we confront it. And I I absolutely believe it's not a lack of truth-telling. It's a lack of the fact that we don't want to sit with the discomfort that comes with it Mm. to be able to learn and grow from each other. And I think that, you know, that's how we build relationships. For us as First Nations peoples, our relationship with our land is so important. And when you think about, you know, a few weeks ago, we had Reconciliation Week. And I think in relation to that, you know, how can we reconcile us as a peoples here if we haven't even met yet? And I think that's one of the foundational issues of our nation. It's been trying to sweep under the carpet that we have lived here since time immemorial and wants to kind of embellish our relationship with things like Reconciliation Week or speeches or bridge walks. And it's like, actually, we've got a lot of hard work to do to heal the wounds. And I think it starts with these uncomfortable conversations. Mm. And then exactly what you did, that self-reflection of going, okay, crap, like, I feel like I did say something offensive. And that's how we move through Mm -hmm. these moments. Mm. People think because it's such an enormous kind of like, it feels like the weight of a nation sits on you and people think, oh, I've got to do something really big and really profound, when in fact it's the little chats, it's the chats with your children, Mm. it's the chats with your barista, it's the chats with your running groups or your book clubs that have ripple effects across the nation. And, you know, if you do call someone out who's like showed disrespect in acknowledgement of country, I guarantee you like that will sit with them a week, a month, it'll come back and bite them at some point. But at the first step, I think, is calling it out and being able to make them check themselves. Absolutely. And I, I mean, again, on, on reflecting in that, I think too, even because often when we get things wrong our, as humans, the thing that we go to first is defensiveness. And so in that moment, I think in reflecting, when I do share my thoughts on if someone is being disrespectful, even though they might be defensive in the moment that doesn't mean that they haven't taken that yeah. on board. And I think that's a really, really important point to make. Yeah, like don't yeah. let an experience of someone, you know, not not seeming like they're taking it on board mm. instantly to never do it again. Exactly yeah. right. We wanted to chat to you as well, Tila, about the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Obviously, you're a lawyer. We would love for you to talk to, for any of our listeners that haven't, got education on what it is, what it means. Are you able to talk through what it is and then also what it means to you? So the Voice to Parliament, look, it's an idea that has been around for decades. First Nations peoples have issued many petitions in our past. This time, I think strategically what was different was we didn't go straight down to Canberra and demand a voice. It actually... You know, you think about 2017 at Uluru, so many years ago now, that the statement was issued to the people of Australia. And so the idea of the voice comes from a long line of action. Prior to 1967, that referendum, the federal parliament had no power to make laws with respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Prior to 1967, only the states and and territories 
had that power. So it meant this. It meant that it was the states and territories establishing missionaries, the police force controlling Aboriginal people, in many instances lawfully committing massacres and genocide. The movement that led to 1967 meant that the success of that referendum, suddenly federal parliament had the power to make laws with respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And so therein lies our current dilemma. It's that suddenly federal parliament now have the power to make laws with respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but we don't have a voice Mm. in those laws or what they look like and how they impact on our communities. And one of the consequences of that is this. So if you think about many Australians will remember the Northern Territory intervention and what happened around that time was essentially federal parliament suspended the Racial Discrimination Act to implement a racist policy across the territory It's extraordinary use of power when you think about it around the world. And the impact of that was racist because it disproportionately affected Aboriginal people. We are saying in the proposal for a voice that we want to be able to have a say when these kinds of laws and decisions are made about us. Mm. And so it's actually just a practical and pragmatic proposal Many people in the process also were demanding treaty and truth-telling. And that's how then the Makarata Commission idea was also born. So if we can establish a voice and have all of those different First Nations heard at the table, um, because there are many different First Nations. Some have, you know, the power, the resources, the leverage to begin to negotiate. Others do not. For example, I'm like from one of my nations is Wailwan. It's a tiny, tiny nation. It would not have the leverage of some First Nations communities to be able to negotiate treaty, for example. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a practical step. I think it's really important to understand that The Voice is a proposal for First Nations to participate in the democratic process in a different way and reset the relationship Mm. between the people of Australia, parliament and the executive. And that we also have to be, I think, quite clear. It's like, it's not a solution to every single problem First Nations communities confront, nor will it ultimately resolve the racism in this country. I mean, we've got a lot more work to Mm. do on those issues, but it is one step. And it's the first step to Makarata and the process of treaties and truth-telling at a national level, because you're going to have many different treaties. It's not going to be necessarily one treaty. There'll Mm. be lots of different treaties. Thank you so much for breaking that down in the way that you did and actually for once making me understand something in, in politics. So I'm not equipped with that kind of knowledge and It's very clear to me now. I think at the end of the day, it's about like having, it makes complete sense, of course. And it it just, it's about having those like diverse opinions in those huge decisions that affect people at the end of the day. It's having people that, it it just, it it, it makes, it's just, it's mind blowing that there's people making decisions 
On behalf of someone else. On behalf of someone else, and they've never lived in their shoes, nor do they probably understand it. Absolutely. And it's like, it's just, it's such a simple proposition. I think one of the things, particularly in my observations of the national debate, it's that the law on this issue is so easy. It comes down to like an insertion of seven lines into the constitution. So the law, we can make that legally sound. One of the enormous dilemmas that we're now confronting is the politics is hard. Whether you are left, right or in between, like this absolutely matters to all of us. And so one of the concerns I have is politicians mincing this up and making it such a heated political topic that has the potential to cause catastrophic events, like catastrophic issues they're not thinking about in our relationships with each other. Politicians, you know, hypothesising over, will this clog the high court, for example? Like, Australians all have the same right to get to the high court. It does not matter whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. Every single Australian has the same right to the high court if they have merit in getting them out of there. And I wanted to make this point clear too, because It's such a null and void argument and I do think that this is a strategy to derail the debate at the moment about the whole like attempt or, you know, hypothetical attempt to clog the high court. First Nations people said this, we actually cannot afford to go to the high court. It costs so much time, it costs so much money and by the time your matter is appealed all the way to the top, We've lost so many elders along the way. I don't think Australians also realise this. You know, they know the Mabo decision. Do they know that Mabo passed to the ancestors before the High Court got to hand down that decision? He was not alive. And so that is one argument about the voice that I think is totally null and void. And I think the politicians have not done our communities a very good service on being able to explain that the idea again, back to kind of our previous discussion, was the voice is about a proactive role. It's about, okay, how do we improve policy? How can we actually practically start to go, this is going to make an impact on closing the gap or whatever the issue is. And so the way in which I think Australians actually don't really, we know as black followers, like the difficulty of navigating these systems, but until you kind of sit down and have the yarn with white Australia, they don't really actually understand how many strategies we've had to deploy to try and have our inherent rights recognised in this country. And the voice is just one of the steps, like... I think it's important not to overstate it mm. and to be very pragmatic about it because either way, we're, there's a huge risk yeah. for us. Australia's either going to vote yes or it's going to vote no. And part of kind of the yarns we're having at Black Matters is helping people be better informed on all of these different issues to be able to make informed choice when they get to the ballot box. I think that, you know, when people have accurate information then we will be able to stand on the right side of history. Mm, absolutely. absolutely. To finish off, Tila, we would love to ask you, this episode's coming out in NAIDOC week, so we would just love to know 
you know, what it means to you personally? So NADOC Week, look, NADOC Week is Black Follow Christmas, some people <laughs> call it. It's our week. Yeah. You all white fellas get Reconciliation Week. We get NADOC mm. Week. Um, where, you know, I think that, no, in all fairness, it's a beautiful celebration for all of us. I feel like actually NADOC Week just feels a little bit lighter for me in the sense that it truly is like a national celebration of this ancient history and that the theme for 2023 is for our elders. And I just think what an amazing theme. Like it brings tears to my eyes now thinking about our old people and how much they have lived through for us to be here having this conversation. And, you know, my grandparents... My nan's probably sitting home now on her little lounge in the town I grew up in mm-hmm. watching, you know, some local TV or something. And I just think, wow, she's lived so many lives. Mm. And for NAIDOC Week, I really do hope that non-Indigenous Australia also celebrates the deep, rich history and knowledge that our elders have because they are our libraries they are our lawmakers, they are our healers and our storytellers. So yeah, that's what it means. So special. Thank you so much for your time today and everything that you've shared. And yes, again, a shout out to your amazing podcast that has launched Black Matters. We are so happy for you and can't wait to listen in and be more educated. And again, thank you for your time today. Thank you both for having me. It was awesome. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to get involved in the KickPod, <laughs> you can. We have got a KickPod Instagram where you can send us a DM about your thoughts on the podcast, some questions, some stories that happen to you. <laughs> Honestly, whatever you want to send in, we would love to see and read it and hear it and chat to you. And that is at KickPod on Insta. We would also appreciate your following if you would like to support the podcast. Come and follow that account. (laughs) That is where we'll be sharing a lot of this kind of content. So we hope you guys enjoy that. If you want to learn more about Kick, the Kick app, we have a website, kickapp.com, or you can head to the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and download our app. We have a seven-day free trial if you'd like to check out the app. And we're also on Instagram at laura.henshaw and at Smith, And you can find us over on TikTok as well at Kick. But we'll be back in your ears very soon. Bye.